Welcome to ENCO Insights, quick takes and views from experts in the energy and natural resources world. ENCO Insights is an expert network dedicated to the energy and natural resources sector. In a world of energy transition, deglobalization, and digitization, ENCO Insights curates experts to help organizations navigate the volatile pathways ahead. Today, we're talking commodity traders transacting in stablecoins. Nick Philpot, COO, Zodia Markets. Why are trading houses starting to use stablecoins in commodity transactions? Well, it's because a lot of them have to operate in jurisdictions where holding US dollars or other foreign currencies is just a significant challenge. Their local banking systems are usually quite limited. As we've seen in a lot of uh, BIS research, correspondent banking networks are starting to, to fray or to um, to disintegrate in some ways. So all those relationships are starting to disappear. Certainly the pressure of FATF has accelerated that. And as a result, the ability to move value between emerging market jurisdictions, so from Brazil to Nigeria or from Kenya to the United Arab Emirates, for example, is actually very, very challenging. Stablecoins are as available as the internet. So in some senses, it's just moving money in the same way that you move an email or a WhatsApp message. So it's that accessibility, that speed and that low cost that is really starting to uh, offer a true use case for digital assets and to provide an alternative to the correspondent banking system. Leaning into that a little bit, can you just help us understand a bit about the speed of transactions versus traditional methods? So I'll give you an example of a company in Thailand that is, let's say it's a power company and they're importing coal from Indonesia. So what you would have to do is you take your Thai BART, you would then have to find a Thai bank that has uh, the ability to uh, move US dollars, or at least has a US dollar correspondent relationship with a bank in the United States. They would do a dollar Thai trade. So that's your first uh, FX charge. Then you have to go to the US Fedwire system. So your US dollars have to move very likely from the first co- uh, first correspondent to another correspondent that has a dollar Indonesian rupiah capability. Then you do dollar Indonesian rupiah uh, foreign exchange. That's your second foreign exchange charge. And then you have to go to the, uh, the bank of whoever it is in Indonesia that you're trying to pay. So potentially you've got two banks in Thailand, two banks in the United States and two banks in Indonesia. All of the payment systems that these banks uh, integrate with, they operate Monday to Friday in most cases, and they have business hours. So as a result, a payment like that could take anywhere between, I don't know, three days to five days. If you hit a weekend, because obviously those payment systems are closed at weekend, as are the banks, then you're looking at five days. Whereas if you're using a stable coin, a stable coin sits on the same internet rails or the same blockchain rails as something like uh, Ethereum or Solana or Stellar or something like that. So they move as quickly as email. So in the case of Ethereum, for example, you're looking at minutes. If you're looking at something like Solana, you're looking at probably sub one second uh, for settlement finality. So it's significantly quicker uh, compared with the, uh, the correspondent banking system and indeed significantly cheaper. Because the other uh, appeal is that if you're in Indonesia, it's very difficult to hold US dollars. So the Thai a uh, consumer could also just buy dollar stable coins and send those to Indonesia and then leave it up to the Indonesian supplier to decide whether they want to convert those into in local currency 
or to keep them uh, as a dollar stablecoin. This will be quite a change up in uh, how financial transactions take place in the commodities markets. Um, what does it mean for these organisations and how, how nascent is this trend and where in particular are we seeing it? It's very much a, a nascent trend and I think it's just starting to appear in oil spots almost. So it's yeah, a client here, a client there. So one does oil and gas, another does agribusiness. Um, another is a sort of, sort of full spectrum metals um, mining trader, if you like. We've already seen... Um, commodities companies start to sort of push the boundaries, um, digitizing their workflows, particularly around things like letters of credit um, and so on and so forth. You've got initiatives like Comgo. So this is, in some sort of bizarre sense, actually, the commodities world is coming in and um, renewing or upgrading uh, financial markets and banking infrastructure, payments infrastructure, in a sense. Um, So it's almost at the forefront. And that's because, as with a lot of crypto yeah, there is a lot of regulatory concern and you know, a lot of financial institutions are waiting for what they would call regulatory clarity. But I think a lot of them, it's just an unwillingness to engage with the asset class. Whereas a lot of these comp- uh, commodity companies, they have serious challenges with the correspondent banking system as it stands with cross-border payments. So they're looking at something like you know, a USDC stablecoin and going, well, I don't particularly like my local bank. Maybe I'm nervous about a stablecoin, but it's either a case of running three to five days of risk against a local bank that I'm not particularly you know, au fait with or particularly happy with, or I run it uh, run three to five hours perhaps of risk against a stablecoin that perhaps you know, I'm also equally concerned about. But three hours of risk versus three days of risk is, is quite easy calculus for them. And so it's a very easy decision for many of them to make. Would this change the nature of teams within the commodities in, in the in the banking infrastructure. I mean, presumably this takes a lot of pressure off FX risk and is just now simply taken locally. It absolutely does. So if, for example, you are a, a company in I don't know, the UK, for example, but you account in US dollars um, and you are looking to pay a supplier in I don't know, Kenya, for example, then very, very straightforwardly, you can find someone in your finance team who can buy a US dollar stablecoin with US dollars. The pricing is pretty transparent because it's going to be either one-to-one or very, very close to one-to-one. Provided the stablecoin remains stable, and there are ways that you can risk assess that. Um, and certainly some of the ratings agencies are coming out with models and uh, approaches as to how to do that uh, on a sort of more um, repeatable level. And then you can send that to your suppliers. And as I said, you can leave the FX decision to your supplier. So it's now in the hands of the Kenyan supplier as to whether they want to convert those US dollar stablecoins into Kenyan shillings. And it's much easier for them also to hold US dollar stablecoins in somewhere like Kenya because you don't need a bank account. You can hold it on a laptop, on a, um, a piece of kit called a hardware security module. You can hold it in a local exchange or you can hold it as a professional custodian. You know, there's a whole variety of different ways that they can hold that. So from the payers perspective, they no longer have to worry about dollar Kenya risk. They no longer have to worry about FX risk management and it, they no longer have to worry about having Kenyan shilling banking bank accounts. So for example, we speak to one large trader, they have several thousand bank accounts across their estate and it costs them an absolute fortune, both in terms of banking charges, but just admin and bureaucracy and trying to keep track of all of that. So it's all also in some ways a simplification play. I suppose the last thing I would say is that if you have all of these different stablecoins of different currencies, so you can have one that's linked to pounds, you can have another one linked to dollars, another that's linked to Singapore dollars, all of these sit on the same blockchains. 
okay, as opposed to fiat currencies, which each of those individual currencies have individual payment systems. So as a result, you can have a single custodian, and a custodian in some senses is like a bank account provider, but a single custodian could provide you with custody services or account management services, whatever you want to call it, in multiple different currencies of stable coins. So that can allow you to massively simplify your banking estate or your sort of financial treasury management as such. A trend to watch, and, and, and Zodia markets are the, the experts in this. Can you just give us two seconds on, on Zodia? Yeah, so we are a majority-owned uh, subsidiary of Standard Chartered Bank. Standard Chartered Bank, I'm sure um, many of your listeners will be very, very familiar with. Uh, British-based bank specialises in Asia, Africa, and the Middle East. Um, has been around for 170 years and was where I worked for um, for most of uh, most of my financial services career, and I think that's also points to where we're seeing the most appetite. It is in emerging markets. It's where cross border payments are challenging. So intra Africa or between Latin America and Africa or uh, between Latin America and Asia, yeah, this is there's far less demand for payments between you know, New York and London or uh, Paris and Tokyo. This is very much an emerging markets trend. But indeed, that's where a huge number of commodity players are active. Well, Nick Philpop, COO of Zodia Markets, thanks for being an expert. (laughs) Thank you very much. The Enco Insights podcast is published by Enco Insights, a curated expert network for the energy and natural resources sector. For more information on Enco Insights, go to www.encoinsights.com. Enco Insights is a member of HC Group. No part of this podcast can be reproduced or copied without the permission of Enco Insights. All rights reserved.